Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Robert De Niro, Joe Biden, the latest to receive bomb scares in a bizarre situation in the United States where it appears that Democrats or those that support them are being targeted with mail bombs of some sort. The good news is no damage of yet, and uh, it looks like typical security has pretty much curbed all of this. To talk more, let's bring in Reggie Giacchini, Washington producer, correspondent with Global News, based in Washington and with us now. Reggie, thanks for the time. Uh, What's the mood in Washington today? Well, you know, it's the same as it would be anywhere else where, you know, this kind of situation is happening. There's a lot of concern right now. There's a lot of questions being asked. There's a lot of finger-pointing that's taking place, uh, mostly in the direction of the White House. Uh, but mostly it, it is questions. It's, it's who could possibly be doing this, what's the reasoning for doing this, and how many more potential bombs could be out there. There's this sense of kind of unease and unknowing that's kind of lingering over the city right now. Uh, what about the reaction from the White House? We've heard clips of Jeff, uh, Jeff Sessions saying that he's you know, disgusted with this and it can't go on. Is the president echoing those concerns? Well, I mean, the president is still today, you know, saying that, uh, you know, that, that, that he's trying to put some more blame on the media, basically saying, look, the media's come undone. They really need to tidy themselves up. You know, he's not taking any kind of responsibility, saying, look, my words have actions and the things that I've said may be starting to come back to kind of haunt me a little bit. He's making no effort to say things like that. The White House, uh, you know, those close to him, including the press secretary, are kind of echoing his sentiment, saying the president doesn't bear any kind of responsibility for this right now. But there's a lot of people who are criticizing the president right now, saying, look, you have been... Uh, Uh, saying these things for the last year. These are the words that have come out of your mouth. These are the people that are listening to you, that listen to each word that you say, and there could be a potential fallout from his words right now. So it's kind of a back-and-forth conversation between both sides in the city. Uh, Even how, how, and and I know you're a reporter and you don't want to editorialize on this stuff, but, you know, obviously Donald Trump has spent uh, his his whole presidency pretty much uh, uh, insulting everyone he, he can look at, and he does that via Twitter, not media. Uh, traditional media. So how can he blame everyone else for this? At what point does the White House start looking inward on just what the man is tweeting? I, you know, that's a question that we've been asking for the last, you know, year and a half to two years now. The president kind of tweets at will. He changes his mind as fast as the second hand kind of goes around the clock. He, 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 the president kind of goes on Twitter. He speaks what he feels in that moment. It may change the following moment. It may change back the moment after that. Most people will sit there and say, look, the president's tweets speak for themselves. The president speaks for himself. He kind of has his own voice, and that's how he likes to move forward. That's how people around him deal with the fact that oftentimes what the president is saying is either against what they have to say or is simply uh, not accurate and they don't want to have to be the one sitting there saying that the president is wrong. So the president going on Twitter and, uh, you know, it's, it's most people will say, most people on the left will say this is the president's fault and those around him will say, well, the president's tweets speak for themselves. You have to kind of read between the lines and see what he's actually trying to say. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Try to figure out what he's trying to say. Uh, what do we know? Let's get away from Trump. What do we know about the uh, device itself? What do we do? We have any sort of profile forming about who's doing this? We have no profiles yet. Law enforcement uh, officials and, and analysts are sitting there trying to comb through the details right now, trying to put together similarities to these bombs because, look, all of the packaging is the same, the postal uh, postage is the same, the same return address and errors in the return address and written addresses on it. So this, there's, there's a potential for uh, uh, some kind of DNA or evidence to be found. If this person is not uh, you know, a, a mastermind at this craft, there's likely a chance that they may have left something behind, whether it's a hair or some fingerprint 
fingerprints inside the packaging or persons, if it's more than one person doing this. That's what analysts are looking at right now. A lot of these packages have been sent down to Quantico, uh, to the FBI headquarters to, uh, to, be, uh, to be combed over and looked through right now. Some of the things that we do know will be easy to figure out is where these things came from. Postal uh, uh, um, tracking is very easy now. You can see basically once a, post, uh, once a, a package makes its way through the post office, the scanning on it will uh, very easily tell you where it was sent from. So those are things that they'll start to put together. But right now, we don't know if it's a man, a woman, men or women, and where actually they're coming from. What about the sophistication of the device? Uh, is there anything we can learn from that? You said that they're, they're similar in, in, in ways. I, what, what do we know about the sophistication of the device? Well, we know that none of them have gone off. So whether or not they're dud bombs or whether or not they just were handled improperly or they weren't put together properly is something that they need to figure out right now. Uh, but most of them have a similar style. There's been some uh, powder that's been associated with them with some uh, analysts saying that it could be some kind of sulfur or you know, likely linked to, um, to, to fireworks when this thing was being created. So that's a similarity that most of these packages and most of these, uh, these devices uh, have had in common right now. That's what's being worked out right now. But if they were you know, just regular bombs that somebody was trying to put together and doesn't have any expertise in this. This is all stuff that can be found on Twitter. It can be found in videos on YouTube. So it doesn't take a genius to be able to Mm. put these things together, but it does take somebody with kind of a know-how to be able to wire them properly. Do we know how close these were to igniting? Obviously, security intercepted these through x-ray and such. Is there enough in here to do harm to kill somebody? Well, I mean, some of them were filled uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, with shrapnel, with pieces of glass. So if these things did go off, sure, you could ac- absolutely have uh, some kind of catastrophic damage to either the mail carrier or to the people working in these low-level positions, maybe in a mail room somewhere, or potentially at the person who's, whose house this was dropped off at. I mean, somebody like George Soros, his house in Long Island, uh, this was a package that was left in his mailbox. So this could have you know, affected uh, potential courier delivery that was you know, bringing it up to the front door, or somebody who was inside the house at that time. So none of them went off. If it did go off, the, the damage could have been catastrophic at the least. Yeah, you have, to, you have to wonder what would happen if one of these things, as you mentioned, going to places where there isn't the layers of security, such as the Clintons or the Obamas, and then all of a sudden it does make it to its destination and someone actually tries to open the dang thing. Uh, when are police scheduled to talk again? Do, they know, do we know when we're going to get any more information? So the FBI and New York police are going to uh, provide an update around 3 o'clock this afternoon on the latest investigation that's centered around New York uh, through George Soros to a couple of the packages that were in the city towards CNN and to the Clinton compound. So that's what we're expecting around 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, we are awaiting to hear any potential word on the packages that were found in Delaware that were linked to, uh, to Joe Biden and from uh, police in Florida with some of the packages that were returned back to Debbie Washington Schultz's office. So politics, obviously, Reggie, you've been covering it for a while. It's, it's, a, it's a combat sport. It's a blood sport. It can get pretty vicious. What's it like when something like this happens? Well, I mean, you have a lot of different sides trying to point a lot of different fingers right now. Uh, there are some people who are close to the president right now and some who are not really in the political circle but are close to President Trump, somebody like, uh, you know, James Woods, who's sitting there saying that this kind of activity right now, these bombs being sent out, could likely be sent out by the left as a way to interfere with the political, uh, with the, uh, the elections that are coming up in November, as a way to kind of, you know, uh, push the right out of the way and let the, the, let the, let the, uh, the Democrats on the left side build up their base. So in a situation 
situation like this, you kind of, a lot of times you'll see, you know, things look past the actual incident of a potential bomb going off and saying, well, look, this is a distraction right now from one side or the other to try and get us to focus on one thing or the other or the election or the, the, uh, the candidates leading up to the election. It's, it's, it's a situation where you have a potential life and death situation, you have an electoral situation, and you're, there, there are people that are trying to sew both of them together to say both of them can kind of cancel each other out. How are you feeling about your security if you're a high-profile Democrat? Well, I mean, there's, there, there are people who are feeling the fear right now. There are, uh, you know, Congress people, there are lawmakers throughout the city that are beefing up their security, that are, are wondering, maybe I've spoken out about Trump one too many times, and maybe something's coming towards me. You have to think about uh, former, uh, someone from the ethics office, like Walter Schaub, or one of the state attorney generals, Preet Bahara. They're known to speak uh, out against the administration and against Donald Trump. They could be feeling that fear right now, saying something could potentially be coming to me. Also, people in the media. You have to think that there are people in the media that are going to see a Additional, uh, you know, security levels put in place. I know here at the global office, we have a new uh, mail procedure that's going into place now, where all of our mail is going to go through a secondary off-screen X-ray site before it actually makes its way into the building. So this just it goes beyond the political world and into the world of anybody who could have potentially ever said anything about the administration. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jeff Sessions came out quite uh, uh, aggressively uh, denouncing this. Will that raise the ire of, of Donald Trump when he sees members of his own uh, party condemning this when he doesn't seem to be giving it as much uh, attention? I mean, it very well could. There are few and far between that are in his party that are actually saying things. You know, Lindsey Graham had come out earlier today saying that the person who's doing this needs to not do this. Jeff Sessions saying that. But there are these people that are very close to the president uh, who are, again, not inside that political sphere, but just inside his world of kind of far-right uh, belief, who are standing behind, uh, who, standing behind the president and who are actually sitting there calling the bombs a potential liberal hoax. Like somebody like Rush Limbaugh or Ian Coulter are saying that this is a hoax. And there are the people who... Wow. Who can often influence the president right now? So he may not care about what the people closest to him have to say because there are other ones out there who are backing what he has to say. How can this benefit Donald Trump? Well, I mean, the president can can use this as another potential way to rally up his his uh, his followers. He can say that, look, if this is a potential issue that's been dealt by the left, if this is something that the Democrats are trying to do to put a, a wrinkle in the upcoming midterms, we need to ensure that we get more Democrats out of office and put more Republicans in. So the president can use this as a way to say, look, I'm trying to unify the uh, the country. People don't want to listen to me when I'm asking to unify. We need to put more Republicans in office. The president can take any situation that's bad and turn it into a situation that can try to benefit him. Uh, if he do, if the president does not come out and totally denounce this, which he you know he 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 kind of has, uh, but then of course we know what happens when he goes to his rallies. He kind of <laughs> tries to rev up the base there and goes a little off script. If if he if he does to if he treats this the same way he treated the Kavanaugh scenario and the way he talked about uh, Blasey Ford and such, what will be the reaction in in uh, in Washington if if he if he lends any sort of credence to this at all? Well, I mean, look, when the issue happened in Charlottesville, where the president was talking about, uh, you know, uh, white nationalists on one side saying that there are good people on both sides of, of each incident right now, it left people with their jaws on the floor in Washington. And I think that that's kind of an expectation of the president now. He's never going to totally denounce something that could have any kind of harm or could be something linked to the left. And he'll always stand up for somebody that his base appears to rally behind. So if he doesn't come out and fully denounce this, I think there's an expectation that he may just go ahead and not do that, because that's what we're we're used to seeing when it comes to the president dealing with an issue. Donald Trump worried about his own security? Is the White House concerned about Donald Trump's security? 
Well, nothing was sent to the White House. There's been no uh, reports of any packages listed to the White House. And there has been some beefed up security around the White House, around the Capitol building and some other federal offices in the U.S. But there's been no suggestion that uh, the president is feeling any kind of fear or that they're ready to whisk him off at a moment's notice. This is just another situation that the White House is trying to deal with, uh, you know, as with every other office in the city. Uh, you mentioned on you touched on this earlier, Reggie. Is there any reason to believe this might be more than one person? They, uh, because obviously these devices are similar. There is a potential for it, but law enforcement analysts say in a situation like this, when you have multiple uh, bombs being sent out that aren't just letter bombs, that are devices that have been put together, it's oftentimes a lone wolf situation where it's one person who's just put a whole bunch of things in the mail and they're trying to get their point across. You have to think back to something like the Unabomber. It's one person who puts everything out in the mail. So right. it, it, it very well may be more than one person, but for the most part right now, they're trying to sort through that. And it, it's suggested that it could just be one person, but these are things that we're going to find out as the investigation pushes forward. How does this affect the midterms or does it well i mean it, it puts another level of fear into some people who are going out to the polls saying well if i vote against donald trump is something going to come towards me or if i vote for donald trump could something come towards me it gives voters just one more thing to think about when they're sitting there uh you know marking out their ballots uh when it comes to republicans in the house and, and democrats in the house and the senate so it does lend a bit of uh, of an issue to people who are heading out to the polls but i think the president's just going to use this as a way to rally the troops saying look we need to get out and vote we need to move past any kind of incident that could be hindering the election and put these ballots in the box. Uh, Does Washington feel like it's fallen to a new low here? I mean, you know, what next? Well, 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 what next? I guess the next thing would be somebody getting hurt. But uh, I mean, does Washington, uh, I can just see people hanging their heads very low there right now. Well, I mean, we're in, this is a new era. This is, these are situations that, you know, have happened, you know, once in a while before. We've had a president who may have said the wrong thing or an administration who may have moved the wrong, uh, you know, bill forward. But we've never been in a situation like this where kind of every day moves on and, and something, you know, new happens that could be a potential low for either the country or at least for the administration itself. So I think we, we wake up on a daily basis saying we can try to get through the day, but we don't know what's going to happen hour by hour. So when will we know more? Well, we will know at least a little bit more within the next couple of hours, but a situation like this, uh, you know, where they're investigating each individual package that was sent out, uh, along with, you know, trying to go through mail sorting uh, uh, facilities across the country to see if any more of these packages do actually exist, uh, you know, we could be looking at days, if not weeks, before we get any kind of answer in this. Do you expect more Republicans to comment on this? I think that we will see more people come out as the uh, as information uh, you know is provided. We'll see lawmakers from both sides try to not so much point fingers, but try to get to the bottom of this. Because at the end of the day, whether it's a situation of mental health playing out or whether it's somebody who's acting on that kind of um, you know uh, rhetoric that the president's been saying for the last couple of years, the the answer needs to be figured out, and it needs to be found out why somebody would do something like this. And I think that's what we'll see a lot of lawmakers come out and say right now, ask the question as to why somebody does it. Uh, Uh, Last question, Reggie. How much is Washington blaming uh, Trump's rhetoric for this? I mean, you know, if he acts like a jackass, everyone else is going to. Well, I mean, that's, there's a lot of people on the left that are saying that right now, that, again, that the president has kind of fanned, these, uh, fanned the fuel of political discord for more than uh, two years now. So this is what we can come to expect with people who are really hard in line with the president. So there are people that are trying to put the blame on it, but th- those closest to the president, up to and including his press secretary, say the president bears no responsibility for any of these incidents right now. And that's kind of what the people are left with to think. Reggie Giacchini has been with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News based out of Washington. Where, uh, Reggie, as always, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Ryan Hurl, Assistant Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto, expertise in American political development and thought and constitutional law is with us now. Ryan, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate this. Oh, no problem at all. Can we, can people blame this on the president? Is that, I mean, gee whiz, we got a, could have a serial bomber on our hands, um, perhaps mental illness. Is that, is that the president's fault? Well, I guess I'd look at it this way. Uh, certainly, you can't say that Donald Trump has done very much to reduce the political temperature in the United States since he's been elected. Is there a straight line between that and someone sending out what appear to be bombs? Uh, that's a little bit more difficult to say. I mean, frankly, we don't know what's happening right now. We don't know where the bombs have come from. It could be the work of one individual. It could be the work of a mentally deluded individual. We just don't know. So obviously we'll get more information about that and we will see. But I think it's, I don't see a straight line between Trump's rhetoric and actions of this kind. I mean, you can say that Trump's rhetoric is damaging to democracy. It makes it more difficult for there to be collaboration or bipartisanship. You can say that uh, he appeals to some people's worst instincts, particularly on issues related to immigration. But to say that this is causing an act of this kind, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, uh, given the, the level of political vituperation, it's almost, intra- it's almost amazing that it doesn't happen more often. Are right? you surprised? Uh, surprised that it happens? Or I'm almost surprised it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. Right? I, think it's, I think it's perhaps uh, given the, the, I mean, there's more, e- there's more re- easy available information about how to create bombs of this kind because of the Internet. Uh, and yet we don't, we have not seen levels of domestic terrorism in the United States, even that existed in the late 1960s, early 1970s, when acts of domestic terrorism sometimes wouldn't even make the front page. Uh, so yes, obviously it's very, very disturbing, uh, that these kinds of things are happening. Yes, the president and everyone should be careful about, you know, demonizing their opponents and, and encouraging or even seeming to encourage violence. But, you know, until we know more, it's hard to say that there is a, a direct line between the, uh, Trump and, uh, and, and, these, and these incidents. Do you think we can expect more of this sort of thing? Or will this, be, will this be the reality check and everybody says, oh, you know what, maybe we better tone this down a bit? Well, it depends. I mean, if you don't change the dynamic, then the same things will keep occurring. Um, if the country does not find some way to actually engage in politics, Uh, That is to say, to engage in the art of trying to find mutually acceptable solutions uh, to to accepting that people are going to disagree. And therefore, on some issues, you're going to have to reach a bargain of some kind. If yes, if hopefully elites will take note of this as perhaps a symbol of some of the the, the general currents that are going on and use this as an opportunity uh, to change direction. But and I, I don't think you can lay the blame for this totally at the feet of President Trump. I mean, there has been excessive rhetoric across the aisle as well. Mm-hmm. It was only a week ago that, uh, that Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, was saying that civility is not required because the people we disagree with are fundamentally evil or they're trying to destroy us. I forget yeah. the exact quote. Yeah. Uh, that's not particularly helpful. I and mean, then I'm not saying that encourages violence, but it, it does encourage a kind of intransigence that makes it difficult for the political system to work. The American system... Uh, is designed to encourage cooperation, but it's not going to work automatically. People have to recognize that not too many problems get solved unless you're willing to bargain and cooperate with people who you might disagree with on a lot of things. Um, I think that if something doesn't change, if the 
if there isn't some way for the parties to at least find some area um, for cooperation, I think you can see other acts of this kind. Um, and I guess perhaps we'll this only we'll we'll know a bit more about this, you know, in upcoming months after the midterm election. What should the president be doing now? Your thoughts on his response to this? He obviously has to tone things down, and I think that even even to appear to be endorsing violence, um, even to appear to be uh, demonizing the opponent, uh, I think is obviously very bad. But even it also makes bad. Uh, it's it's a bad political strategy, right? I think that uh, I think that there are there's actually a lot to be gained politically from saying, you know, if you are in the president's position, we're not trying to demonize the opponent. Um, we just think we have better solutions to these problems, um, you know, and they're they're the ones who are trying to, you know, create hatred and so on and so forth. Uh, whereas I think Trump now, I mean, he's had a lot of success going the other direction, I suppose. But I think that there are diminishing returns for that strategy. And I think that he will have to find a way to summon uh, unifying presidential rhetoric at this point, or at least I think that would be very helpful for him. I'm not sure that's going to happen, though. Uh, Ryan Hurl is with us, uh, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto. Ryan, can he continue or, or is he speaking out both sides of his mouth when he sits and reads a mundane political statement that's prepared by the White House condemning all of this and then goes to a rally and... <laughs> And does what he does. Yeah, I think he's speaking to different types of audiences. And, uh, you know, as someone who also gets paid to speak for a living, uh, you know, sometimes, the, you know, speaking extemporaneously off the top of your head, you will occasionally say things that are perhaps not fully thought out. So it does seem to me that Trump is doing a little bit of a stand up comedian improv routine when he's at these rallies. And I think that it the broader impact of this or the broader appearance of it is perhaps not always forefront in his mind. And how silly is he to think that even though he's speaking to two audiences that the other doesn't hear what they're saying? No, I, I, I completely agree. I think what's, I think what's happening is that there's something about the, uh, there's something about the experience of these rallies, the live show. What's that? Something about the live show. Yes, exactly. There's something about the live show that is that that is sort of pushing him into a more extreme kind of rhetoric. You know, you go far, you know, back far enough. I mean, people were aware of this problem. I mean, the first president of the United States wouldn't even give the State of the Union address in Congress. It was too the, the potential for demagoguery was too was too great. You know, and they would send their State of the Union address just a written just a written speech. So I do think that there is something about a kind of mob mentality that can take over there. Um, when you're in an audience of people who are highly emotional, everyone who's going to be agreeing with you, um, that's a dangerous form of politics, but it's, it's worked so well. It's worked so well for him. And I think he believes it is necessary or at least helpful for maintaining uh, the intensity of Republican voters. I've talked to many experts about how we live in a world of extremes. Where is the candidate? Where is the party? Doesn't matter if you're talking about municipal, federal, provincial uh, politics. Where is the person who represents the middle? Who, where I believe most Canadians are, whether they're socially liberal, fiscally conservative, put together depending on the party and whatever the leader speaks at that point. And and, and the answer I seem to be getting is nobody... the center politics, the middle politics, it's not explosive. So no one cares about that. If you want the headlines, you got to go to one extreme or the other. Where is where the majority of us are, which is in the middle and not extremists? 
Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, I think that in the case of the United States, I mean, there's simply mixed signals over this, depending on what public opinion polls you look at. Um, some people will say that the, the public has followed political elites either to the right or the left. Other sets of public opinion polls suggest that there's a lot of people in the middle. I mean, for better or worse, there's also a lot of people who just don't care that much about politics and they don't necessarily know that much about politics either. That's not surprising. It's not even a criticism. People are very busy. Uh, so you think there would be there would be some room there. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that politicians are also responding to uh, party activists and party elites, the interest groups, the donors, um, the activists who are most highly engaged in running their political machines. And, the, and, and for a variety of reasons, those people have moved towards the extremes. And there's no easy way to change that. Um, I think that there's one additional problem. Um, I mean, the more issues that you treat as non-negotiable, the more difficult it becomes to find some points for negotiation or for some ways to trade across different issues. Um, and I think that that is the, the other factor. It's not that it's not just that the, the elites are, are moving apart, but it's also that they are regarding uh, more and more issues as essentially not negotiable, treating every issue as it involves rights, say, or thinking of every issue as if it's a non-negotiable right, as opposed to, you know, a policy position that could be more or less. Um, one final thought, though, I mean, despite his rhetoric and his extremism, uh, at these rallies and in other ways, I mean, in some ways, Trump achieved political victory because he moved towards the political center. Um, he adopted issues, say, particularly on trade, but also on foreign policy. Hmm. Good point. We're in the middle ground between mm -hmm. the two parties. I mean, it was there's the fact of the matter is, is that the in terms of the, the being critical of, of trade agreements, whether it's NAFTA or trade agreements with China, that had been a position of the Democratic Party, not necessarily at the presidential level, not necessarily Clinton and Obama, but in terms of being critical of trade agreements and its effects upon American workers. That was an issue that was held by, uh, you know, Democrats in the House and Senate. And Trump took up that issue and saw it as an opportunity. Uh, similarly, on the immigration issue, um, it's difficult to know exactly where the center lies on this on this question. But, I mean, arguably, if American voters were offered the choice of severe limits on immigration versus open borders, uh, I'm pretty sure they would take the limits on immigration. Uh, so having said that, uh, you know, it will, I, I think what's, even though it's going to be difficult for a politician to find the center. I think perhaps one solution might be is just a recognition that a country like the United States is going in different directions, and perhaps we need to have less or fewer national solutions. California is going to be different than Mississippi, hmm. and the notion that there's going to be the same moral political standards everywhere, uh, you can only push that so far. Where does this go? I mean, it's got to the point now, and, and, and again, uh, uh, with the rhetoric on and and just the the level that this has been ramped up to, there's now death threats. There's now people being sent right. bombs. What's next? Does someone have to die? At what point do Americans say to themselves, "I don't think this is better. I don't think this is great." Right. Well, look. Let's let me say. First no matter what all, side you're on. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But let me just say that first of all, the it's, it, this is not sort of prior to the French Revolution, when you have mass riots over bread, bread lines everywhere in the country. This, particularly when we're thinking with the bombing, but even other acts of violence associated with Antifa or these alt-right groups, 
you're dealing with relatively small numbers. It's horrible. It shouldn't happen. People should be concerned. But this is not a sign that the entire country is about to go up in flames. My own view is that I think the the political tensions will be reduced after the midterms because it does seem to me highly likely that the Democrats will achieve control of the House of Representatives. So I think this will be a good sign uh, for the Democrats in the sense that it will show you that there's not some institutional barrier for them to achieving political control. Um, it will create a necessity for bipartisanship um, if anything is going to be achieved. So I think that um, the, that potential for some reconciliation is, is possible. Uh, we will see what happens with the, the Mueller investigation, which has sort of fallen off the radar screen. Obviously, that could potentially create uh, more problems for the president, but we'll see what we'll see what he comes up with. Um, but I think that after this is, you know, after the midterms, I think there might be a, a more of a cooling off period under conditions of divided government that will be very healthy for the country. How do you think this will affect the midterms? I I have no idea. Because <laughs> you have to uh, think I, this can't be an advantage for the Republicans. I mean, how, how is this an advantage for anyone? No, I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think we know enough yet to say. Right. I think if it is, if the president handles it very poorly, I think we'll see in the next few days. If the president goes into a rage over this and doesn't try to um, tone down his rhetoric, I think it could be very. I, I think it could be damaging to the Republican Party. But my sense is more. It's at, as far as it's simply frightening everyone equally, and doesn't necessarily uh, have any implications in terms of how people are going to be voting. Is it up to the president to fix this? Is it up to the president to set the tone here? I would say, under situations like this, like any time there is a you know a public disaster, uh, fortunately no one has died from this yet. But I think that. Uh, the president should take on this symbolic role of trying to uh, reduce tensions, trying to emphasize, you know, common principles, principle like the the notion that despite political disagreements, people sh- should always reject violence as a solution to their problems. So I do hope uh, President Trump rises to the task here. I'm not sure I'd uh, bet money on it, but <laughs> I think that I, I hope is very I, dangerous. What's that? Hope is very dangerous. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but I think I, I'm hoping at least he will recognize uh, the importance to 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 shift his rhetoric after these events. In all of this, how can Donald Trump feel safe? How can he feel? Oh, I'm not me. Everybody loves me. They're just going to shoot the rest of them. How can he feel he's safe? What's to stop a wacko from the other side from doing this? Yes, and that is what's so uh, concerning about the situation. I think that um, you could have, you know, I mean, thus far, we don't even know if these are really bombs. We don't know if it's some kind of joke. We don't know if it was seriously intended to kill people. Yeah. Um, obviously, if the president or any major political figure was actually assassinated at this point in time, I mean, all bets are off in terms of predictions. I think that enough of President Trump's supporters are convinced that the system is essentially rigged against them and that American elites, bipartisan elites, are essentially organized to try to stop the president's agenda. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm saying that people believe it. I think if the president were to be attacked and to were to be assassinated, it would, uh, I think it would lead to serious uh, civil unrest. I would agree. Ryan Hurl has been with us, Assistant Professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto. Ryan, fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, no, thank you. Anytime. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Saudi Arabia has changed its story again in regard uh, to the killing, the death of Jamil, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, they are now saying that this was planned, this after even denying that a murder happened and that he exited uh, the uh, the embassy and, 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 and just went off on his own way. Uh, the story has changed at least two or three times. To talk more about all of this, Rahil Raza is with us, Muslim-Canadian journalist, author, public speaker, media consultant, anti-racism activist, and interfaith, uh, interfaith discussion leader. And Rahil is with us now. Rahil, as always, thank you so much for the time. We greatly appreciate it's this. my pleasure. Thank you. Before we get to Saudi Arabia, just your thoughts on what's happening in the United States with these bomb scares that seem to be directed towards Democrats or those who support them. Um, can we say that this is rhetoric inflamed by Donald Trump? I mean, at the end of the day, people who, who do this sort of thing, um, they're going to do it whether there's rhetoric or not. That being said, what do you say about just the divisiveness and the rhetoric that's going on in politics today? Well, the divisiveness and rhetoric, of course, has been going on as far as these bombs are concerned. It's uh, too soon to say anything definitive yet because, you know, we don't know what the real story is. Uh, we don't know what is actually behind them. But any kind of divisiveness and, um, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, polarization of politics that takes place in the United States really terrifies me because there are some issues which should be beyond politics, which should be, uh, you know, for everyone to come together around. And one of them is uh, peace and less violence. Uh, these These are not political issues. These are issues for humanity. And I think that uh, people should work around them and put aside their differences and stop this divisiveness. After all, it's humanly promoted, so it should be stopped. What should a president's role be in a situation like this? What should they be doing? Well, they should be wanting to find out what exactly happened, uh, get to the facts behind it, and uh, ensure that whoever has been involved in this is uh, duly punished. What about calming everyone down? It seems that the president has used his tweets to to divide and inflame. Uh, Should he be calming that down? Am I barking up the wrong tree here? Well, he's not a calmer. You know that. (laughs) I'm asking too much. You you are. You (laughs) are. I mean, uh, he's not going to suddenly become a a calm person. He just has to open his mouth and people get their knickers in or not and their temperatures up. And, uh, you know, this is uh, something so personal. So so that's asking for a lot. But um, certainly uh, the language that he uses should be one of, as I said, bringing Americans together and uh, not of dividing them because this is scary and and it's vicious and it's uh, awful and it shouldn't be happening um, in a free country like the United States. All right, let's talk about Jamal uh, Khashoggi uh, goes into a Saudi embassy in Turkey to get papers uh, so he can continue with his life and in marriage and such. He never comes out. Uh, Saudi Arabia says, I don't know what happened to him. He left. Uh, it, it, then it went from there, and there was various uh, reports and, and denial of it. Now it appears Saudi Arabia has changed its story again. What's their pos- official position at this point? Well, Saudi Arabia has essentially been rhetorically been caught with their pants down. 
uh, this is something that, uh, you know, they have um, made a hash off from the very beginning, although it was quite clear from the investigations that had been done by Turkey. And Turkey, of course, was really pushing these investigations because they need something to slam Saudi Arabia with politically. And uh, from that, we knew that uh, you know, the facts were that Jamal Khashoggi had gone into the Saudi consulate. Now, why he went into the consulate is a whole other question. I mean, knowing the Saudis, he is from that country, knowing that he was a dissident, that he had been criticizing the regime and that they have a history of brutality against people who criticize the regime. How and why he went into the consulate is something we may never know. But he did. There was a rumor floating around that he went in because he was trying to get papers in order to continue on and marry a woman. Is that correct? Yes, we believe that that was the reason that Mm -hmm. he had gone in. But, you know, Saudis are famous for having four wives. He could have, you know, just done that. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. as I said, that's a reason we will never know. But the fact is he did go in. He did not come out. Uh, According to reports, 15 men flew in on private and commercial jets, Saudis, uh, one carrying a chainsaw. Um, the reports say that, uh, you know, the, the, the Saudis said that it was a fist fight, but come on. I mean, you know, every reasonable person knows 15 against one is not a fist fight. Yeah. So the fact that he had been killed, dismembered, is something that we pretty much knew. Uh, the Saudis have been waffling on it because, of course, uh, you know, their back is up against the wall. And uh, they have to respond for their, I mean, there has there have been violations of human rights in Saudi Arabia for ever so long. There have been more beheadings in Saudi Arabia than ISIS has done. But this time they got caught. And that's a whole other story. And this has become a huge international crisis. And they should be answerable. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, they should, they should be put um, into a position of... Uh, sort of shame uh, by Muslim countries more than anyone else who have been totally silent. The OIC, by the way, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, has not made any mass statements about uh, asking Saudi Saudi Arabia why this happened. Uh, Saudis say it indicates uh, that the, the, the evidence from Turkey indicates that the suspects in the incident had committed their act with premeditated intention. Premeditated by whom? Where would this have started? And can the prince continually separate himself from this? Well, this is, of course, now the big question. You know, he is trying to separate himself. And, uh, you know, his reputation is at stake. There's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, First, they said that this was a fistfight. Now they've agreed that it was premeditated. But exactly, as you say, the question is, uh, you know, who ordered the hit on him? I mean, I have my own uh, opinion on that, but I'm not going to say anything until we know uh, what happened. But as I said, uh, you know, these are tribal uh, societies. I mean, Saudi Arabia, it's from the camel to the Cadillac, literally. But they still operate in uh, in the 7th century. I mean, the, the practices that they use are not those that are used in the modern world. There were so many different ways in which Jamal Khashoggi could have been brought to trial. He could have been extradited. They, you know, they, they could have uh, uh, had a court case against him. But to go in and kill him and to cut him up into little pieces, uh, God, it, it's gross just, just to hmm. think about it. Can and the, they should be answerable for it. Can the prince continually deny that he had any to do, anything to do with this, and this was just a bunch of rogue killers? Like, could he? Could this have happened and him not been aware of it? Well, uh, you know, there's two things. He will deny it till the cows come home. Yeah. Of course, he has been denying it. 
But the fact remains that very little moves in the kingdom without the knowledge of the royal family. Uh, you know, this is the way the kingdom operates. This is the way it has always operated. Who comes in, who, who goes out, and 15 people leaving the country on uh, private commercial jets. Uh, I doubt whether he did not know about it. Uh, to give him the benefit of the doubt, what was their intention and how they had planned to do this in the end, I cannot comment on that because we don't know. But I have my suspicions and my doubts. I think, you know, they must have all been aware of what was happening. Hmm. So it's um, it, it's a very murky affair. Uh, it is um, uh, quite sickening when you when you think about it. But of course, who's come out like shining like a rose is Turkey, who has a horrible reputation and track record of um, uh, arresting journalists if they have spoken mm -hmm. out against uh, Erdogan. So, you know, he's a wannabe caliph, but of course, this is a great opportunity. And with the help of Iran and Qatar, they're going to milk this to its end because they want to be able to bash Saudi Arabia and be the leaders of that vacuum in the Sunni Muslim world. So it's a much bigger picture than what we think. It's not just about right. one man being, being uh, uh, you know, cut up into small pieces, which is terrible by itself. Mm. But the political games and the pawns and the back and forth is a much bigger picture. Let me ask you this, Raheel. If, if, Saudi, Ara if Saudi Arabia wants to get rid of this man, why would they do it in an embassy where there's cameras everywhere and 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 the turk and the turkish government has these this kind of evidence i mean why would you do it this way it's it's a very good question rhetorically uh, why would you do it this way but then as i said they don't operate by rational modern day standards yeah but they must standards. either way raheel they may not they they must not want to get caught I mean, because now look at the I problem they've they created for themselves. They were, they were going to get caught. I mean, the way the whole thing was done with the people coming in, I doubt they suspected that they were going to get caught. Even with all uh, those cameras and even the fact that yeah. you're going in and out well, of an when embassy? You, when you have cameras, first of all, a consulate, it was the consulate. A consulate is supposed to be a place of sanctuary. That's not a it. place where you have state-sponsored terror. Mm -hmm. And the cameras in the consulate were belong to the Saudi consulate. What happens inside the consulate remains inside the consulate very often. Now, this is not the first time a consulate space has been used for subversive agendas and subversive activities. Mm -hmm. You know, the Iranian mm -hmm. consulate is famous for using the consular section for these. Uh, you know, practices like this. It's just that they got caught. They got, I do not believe they thought that they were going to get caught. Something tricked, you know, somebody spoke out, something happened, and they got caught. Uh, so usually the cameras that are inside a consulate are private for that, because that is the space of that particular country. They are not for public uh, mm -hmm. consumption. So somebody must have been spying on them, of course, the Turks, and they caught them. And now, you know, they're waffling in all their lives. They don't know what to say or how to cover this up. Um, it's something that happened. The best thing for them would be, in my opinion, to acknowledge and accept that they did this and, you know, release the other dissidents that they're holding in jail, like Raif Badawi, who we have been lobbying for years for them to release. Is that how they will make this right? I mean, because it certainly seems as if they're caught. And obviously, as you mentioned, Turkey using this to their full advantage. So where is this going? 
I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, this is such a bizarre situation. You know, usually uh, you, you are prepared to speak about issues like terrorist attacks and violence, but this is so, so bizarre. Um, I don't know where it's going to go in terms of, uh, uh, you know, what what is going to happen. But I'm absolutely shocked by the fact that, you know, the OIC has not pressured them or said anything about this. Iran is silent on the issue because they have their own garbage to clean up. But they're going to support Turkey uh, and Turkey is going to melt this. So I think it's a day-to-day unraveling of events and, uh, you know, uh, thoughts. So we are going to have to wait and see what is going to happen and how they're going to use this. But it certainly brought down the popularity of uh you know, this whole idea of a reform uh, happening in Saudi Arabia. I mean, Prince Salman was talking about reform. Yeah. I'm a reformist Muslim. Cutting someone up into little pieces doesn't show signs of reform. And I guess allowing women to drive isn't going to whitewash this. Oh, come on. You know, allowing, the word allowing is yeah. so offensive. In yeah. 2018, they're going to allow these rights that the women should have had 50 years ago, like the rest of the world. But, you know, this is what they do. They give these little bites um, you know, these little freedoms. So they have allowed women to drive. Uh, and they think that this is their reform. It definitely is not going to cut it, because while they were allowing women to drive, they were jailing other women who were speaking out against the royal family. What so, What about yeah. other countries and how they react to this? There's a lot of expensive contracts tied in with Saudi Arabia that, that employ North Americans. How is well, Canada's already examining this? United States have another large contract, defense contract with them. How How is that going to play into all of this? Well, Western countries and most countries have always done business with other countries that have abysmal human rights records. So this is not something new. Trade goes on. Sanctions uh, harm both parties. I personally don't think that that is a solution. You know, the immediate knee-jerk reaction was, well, stop the trade, put sanctions, uh, you know. That's not going to hurt them. They have far too much money to allow something like Public relations consultant, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. As always, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. You know, this is all about the honor of the name and the country. And um, I don't think the, that the sanctions are going to make much of a difference. I mean, if, if the U.S. places sanctions, they are the ones who are going to hurt. And so, uh, the, you know, trade has always continued uh, with countries with far worse human rights records. What so, will Saudi Arabia have to do to make this right in the eyes of the world? Well, <laughs> it depends on which part of the world you're talking about. As I said... You know, my thing is release the dissidents, you know, get all those dissidents out of jail, give them freedom and say, okay, we are going to, you know, let them let them be free, you know, release Raif Nadawi. Um, But how other countries, as as I said, you know, everyone in the Muslim world looks upon Saudi Arabia Mm. Arabia as the holiest of cities just because, you know, Mecca and Medina are there. I think all Muslims should boycott the Hajj for one year after what has happened in Saudi Arabia, and they should hopefully come to their senses. But, uh, you know, I make these statements publicly, and it scares me also because I have a fatwa from Saudi Arabia. And right now it seems to be much more serious than what it was at that time. I can't laugh it off anymore because these guys do serious business. Hmm. So, uh, 
you're you know, you're but, scaring us, Raheel. Uh, what? Where I'm does? Scared. No, I, I yeah, and and my goodness, my thoughts and prayers with you. Where does this leave the leadership in Saudi Arabia? Well, it's shaky. The leadership is very shaky right now. So the larger picture is that there is a vacuum in the Sunni world, right? This used to be filled in by the Al-Azhar head leaders, but now Wahhabis have taken over that as well. Uh, Saudi Arabia, through Prince Salman and all this talk about reform, reform was slow, slowly edging to fill in that vacuum in the Muslim Sunni world. And this was supported by the United States and other Muslim countries because it was going to be a reform kind of a movement. But now that solid ground has been shaken from from under their feet. I think it's going to take them a while to get back into that uh, space. But Erdogan is a wannabe caliph. He wants to recreate something like the Ottoman Empire and be the caliph of that. Mm. And he, as I said, is going to milk this incident to the last drop. Will we ever find the remains of Jamal Khashoggi? Oh, they say they found them in the garden of the Consul General's residence. Uh, except you never know what what is the truth and what isn't. But that was uh, two days ago, that was the news. When will this come to an end? How long will this take for us to move on from this? I don't know. I really don't know. Because there are wheels within wheels and many political games that are going to be played around this. And I don't think we've heard the end of it. So, uh, you know, one day at a time. Raheel Raza has been with us, Muslim-Canadian journalist, author, public speaker, media consultant, anti-racism activist, and interfaith discussion leader. Raheel, we enjoy so much having you on the show. Thank you so much for your courage. We appreciate this. My pleasure. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.